Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Legend Recycling Podcast for the Giro d'Italia stage 13 and a half, or maybe 13A, because unfortunately... We are the prophets. We this is not our first year at Italia. This ain't our first rodeo. When Seb Berwick was in the the YouTube live stream of the podcast yesterday in the live chat saying, Ooh, there's some whispers about Kratikur, that generally means those things will snowball. And that's exactly what happened today. And this is probably going to take up a fair portion of the first part of the podcast to explain what happened, because there was no real GC action anyway in this stage. But first, what do we hear, Benji? Maybe run us through the start of this morning, what was happening. I mean, we didn't really know exactly what was happening at the start. Exactly. So like you portrayed, Seb Burwick posted something in the chat with us that said, oh, wild rumor, quite a cure descent, something like that could be taken out. The climb could be taken out. That was the first rumor. Then we made our projections yesterday and we went into the night and we... Uh, well, I woke up at least on my end with some news on the timeline. And we just saw discussions ongoing. Discussions on going on whether the quad occur. The send would be too dangerous to be ridden. That's the first things I read this morning. Because possible the combination the of... Exactly. Possible eyes. Also rain projected yesterday evening to be there in today's stage. And next to that, cold temperatures were also mentioned and I think some people even mentioned risk of snow, but I think that was going a slightly bit too far. But basically what happened, let's talk through the process that happened. The CPA is basically the workers' union for cyclists. Then they organized a vote yesterday evening between the riders on whether the quadricor should be taken out of the stage because of the dangerous descent combined with the weather conditions and so forth. Yeah. The majority of the riders voted for the quadricor to be removed. So as a consequence, the CPA, that organization, went to RCS, which is the organization behind uh, the Giro d'Italia, with that proposal of adapting a parkour, taking out the quadricure. And, um, well, I'll let you say in your beautiful words how RCS must have responded. Uh, I mean, maybe they didn't tell them immediately to go, you know, what themselves. Maybe they listened. <laughs> and I also heard the reality is it was too short notice because the, the, the alternative route is to go through Martigny where the World Championships was in, what, 2018? They did the circuit around Martigny. That's where the main... Instead of going straight over Kratikur, you go left on the main road through Martigny, but you got four hours' notice. And we're not in Italy anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore. And so Swiss roads don't just get shut down with one hour's notice, two hours' notice. So maybe RCS said, that's impossible. We can't do that. Um, so... Then there was talk of full stage cancellation. I had riders texting me saying, if the Kratikur is still in the race, the plan is for all the riders to just not ride. That was the feeling about it. And then the weather forecast, everyone started going the skizzes, big ski area, go on the, the webcams. Yeah. Well, look good. Like, I don't know what people were expecting, or think the weather is in May at 2,000 meters in the Valais region, but like seven degrees, eight degrees up to San Bernardo and dry it is about as good as you're going to get. I mean, it's way colder where I am, way lower. It's like two degrees, three degrees. And if that's extreme weather, then that means you cannot put that climb ever in the race in may because the base weather came today and anyway i've digress <laughs> what ends up happening is rcs provides a counter proposal to the, the cpa hey let's just do the swiss side of the stage where on the northern side of the alps the weather is drier it's not been as rainy we'll do the northern side of the stage we'll skip the 60k flat on the italian side we'll skip 
the San Bernardo, which was already amended to go through the tunnel, and will start pretty much at the base of Kratikur. And then apparently the CPA and the riders said, yeah, fine, sweet, that sounds good. So it's more well, from... It's more from concerns about a dangerous descent, potentially in the wet, which I fully empathise with, to the majority of the peloton who couldn't give two shits about this stage because they're not GC riders, thinking, would you rather do 207Ks or 75Ks? Because you you can't tell me the weather on San Bernardo was extreme weather. That's very true. But because of that process, because it's a one rider, one vote process now through the mobile app, the riders can indeed vote individually. And as a consequence, like you said, GC riders are in a minority here. Every stage, the riders that can benefit from that specific stage are in the minority. So you will likely see the stage being reduced every single time you have a vote like this, regardless of what kind of stage it is. If a sprint stage happens, for example, I would say that's one where more likely well it doesn't matter even then why would Roglic want to do a sprint stage exactly and why would sprint riders want to ride the first 50k of a sprint stage even so you're always gonna see people vote for the reduction of a stage like that except for today where you'd have the gc riders and the breakaway riders i would say as well in some shape or form because i think half of the breakaway riders going into today's stage going into the shortened version of the stage thought to himself oh, it's going to be harder to get into a breakaway. It's going to be harder to get something out of a breakaway here because a start of 50-minute climb at the start, that might actually reduce chances for a breakaway, according to some of the riders before the stage. So there's so many consequences there. But going through that for a second, you said the original wish was removing the quad-decure descent. Eventually, they land with removing the first half of the race. Doesn't the CPA basically at what they're doing then which is getting yeah, the original but- wish of the riders or would you say that they also succeed in getting the secondary wish of the riders well the goalposts move here this is where the goalposts move and this is what also happened in the 2021 Giro when yeah. it was very cold and yet they kept the descent finish off Paso Chao in rainy conditions because Arceus needed it to finish in Cortina d'Ampezzo which paid the finish money and so what ends up happening is, and I'll read out Adam Hansen's statement. And so, yeah, the, the route gets changed, 75K stage down from 207Ks with still the Crudiker in descent and then valley and then the Cran Montana climb. But this is what Adam Hansen said, who's the CPA representative. To provide clarity from the riders' perspective, the weather conditions experienced during this year's Giro have been amongst the most intense. In response, the riders held a vote last night to invoke the extreme weather protocol. I'll get back to that in a second. According to yeah. the regulations, which outline freezing rain as 0.1, extreme temperatures at 0.4, during certain parts of today's route, the riders agreed to vote. If the majority went past 80, the remaining riders would agree and respect the majority decision, which is implementing the extreme weather protocol and change the route, execute change the route. So I'm not sure that's how the extreme weather protocol actually works, but the voting process was conducted anonymously and 90% of the riders voted. We since found out, because you sought clarification from Benji that the vote was really about yeah. removing Kratikur. It wasn't a broader vote to reduce the route to what it ended up being. So that initial statement, I think, is a little bit misleading, frankly. Yeah. And then... It's kind of, of... Yeah, sorry, go on. It's kind of the CPA trying to make a win out of something that isn't necessarily the initial win, in my opinion. It wasn't what they were shooting for. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm not saying what they were shooting for was incorrect. I actually have think that descent was really dangerous, actually. Anyway, I'll continue. Yeah. Hansen continues, if anyone disagrees with their choice, I'll wear the cost to send your criticism at me, not the riders, the riders, the heroes of the sport. I'd like, uh, yada, yada, yada. I would like to extend my gratitude. Here's, here's where it's interesting. I would like to extend my gratitude to the Giro d'Italia organization for recognizing the need for change and understanding the riders' perspective. The extreme weather conditions experienced this year are beyond anyone's control, and the riders are grateful for the support of the RCS, volunteers and fans. We'll do our best to put on a show for the world to watch. So this is, first of all, because as I said, there was rumors of riders protesting fully. RCS do not want a full rider protest. They also need this stage to finish in Cran Montana for the cash and for the TV. So RCS are like, okay, what can we give as a consolation? 
we got to give something because the CPH, I think, tried to have a stage amended or shortened the other day, and it didn't. RCS said, not ride the full stage. RCS gave this gesture or this change the stage. It still kept the dangerous descent in. The CPA, yeah. knowing that the alternative is a full protest or doing the full stage, accepted that with the descent in. So, I don't know. It, it's it, This has nothing to do with the extreme weather protocol. This is, again, an example of the extreme weather protocol being a shoehorn. The, the true issue that began this was riders justified concern that that descent was too dangerous. Yes. And then it morphed into its extreme weather. We then had Phil Gilbert, uh, you know, who was a CPA representative, saying there's a risk of snow, and that's why, I, like, uh, they've been riding in really shit conditions, but that is also completely detached yeah. from reality. It was not a risk of snow. It was eight degrees dry on San Bernardo. I do want to mention the specifics of the extreme weather protocol. I've got it up here just in case so people understand what it's supposed to be used for. Used for us. It says, the protocol involves the compulsory convening of a meeting of stakeholders when, and this is a list of six occasions, the extreme weather conditions that could lead to such a meeting include, include, which means that it's probably not limited to, but include freezing rain, accumulation of snow on the road, strong wind, extreme temperatures, poor visibility, and air pollution. Now, in some occasions, you could say that at some point yesterday, there might have been freezing rain or poor visibility projected to be today, but I would guess the likelihood of that was not insane. So they specifically mentioned freezing rain and extreme temperatures, which I didn't see projected yesterday either. But like, no, but it's kind the, of... The, the forecast was worse yesterday. It was worse yesterday. Yeah. But then, so and then CPA began this process. And then this morning, the forecast is better. And they, they're like, well, we've done the vote. We've got to go through with it. But it's like, but the weather's fine now. Everyone was in shorts. Yeah, but that, that doesn't make sense. As in the vote has happened, we can't change it now. Because Hansen said in the tweet pointed at me, the quote tweet of my tweet where I asked him about, uh, well, the original vote was about Quadacur, and he said that the majority voted again. So there must have been another vote this morning, right? Yeah, they voted too. Well, Benji, if you're Max Cantor, and they said, would you rather do 75Ks or 207? <laughs> what would you vote? I would go for uh, 10 kilometers. <laughs> yeah. Like, so uh, the RCS felt like they had to offer them something in case there was a protest about really the... So... In the end, what one needs to change is, listen, you cannot have riders deciding about route changes because that brings in a whole element of gamesmanship. And Hugh Carthy, I think, would have wanted this full stage today. Good in the cold conditions. Yeah. He's lost loads of time in the TT. And so it's very simple. The extreme weather protocol, yes, the CPA should be consulted at the end, but ultimately, isn't this objective? If the temperature is below X degrees, if there is snow, if there is rainfall over Y millimeters, the UCI commissaire must invoke the extreme weather protocol and amend the stage. It's not a subjective thing. Like, weather can be measured objectively. Yeah, but I, I somewhat disagree in the sense that riders shouldn't be asked about route change. If a descent is too dangerous, they should be allowed to, That's to have their voice and say, oh, that... I agree. When it comes to extreme weather protocol, should be more zoned off. It's way too vague right now, the rule, to the point that they, they are using it as an excuse in many occasions. But I do feel like the initial idea of going with a meeting to vote for the dangerous descent was a very good step. I and agree. I feel like, in general, we have seen somewhat of progression when it comes to first the riders and CPA fighting to now the CPA actually having that one rider, one vote system and actually riders being able to vote about something. Because in the past, it was like a very sketchy system with like a representative of X amount of riders going there to vote oh, for yeah. those X amount of riders. It's, it was, it was, was a pretty crazy blocks. system. But yeah, like exactly. The now, there's still some, some discourse about the fact that CPA is partially sponsored by by UCI, but 
I don't necessarily think this came into play today. I think today is separate from that, no? I think the CPA and they wanted to do something after the other day and I, I'm not... I'm not doing the old man yells at cloud or armchair classic thing of being like treating the riders like circus animals and you just ride the 207 Ks. I'm not saying that I'm saying there was a legitimate safety concern with that descent. I'm glad no one came down. They took it very carefully. I would say if RCS knew they were doing that descent before winter, which they would have, I would have tried to repave it rather than just digging up the snow last week. Oh, fuck, sorry, there's, <laughs> there's holes everywhere and it's a patchwork quilt and it's really it's narrow. Um, maybe they should have done a better job of, of that and luckily no one went down. I even, some riders were messaging me saying, you know, if they're GC riders, holy shit, this stage, now we have to do this climb. The group is going to be bigger at the top instead of thinned out before, it's fine for all the guys, 70, 80% of the peloton who don't need to race this stage. But what if someone attacks on this descent? Guys are going to be coming back. So yeah, there were still guys in the peloton whose genuine concerns were not alleviated by this route change because their genuine concerns were about the descent. Yeah, and to be clear, the route change goes as, as followed, eh? We're just skipping the flat part in the San Bernardo, like you mentioned earlier, and we're starting the stage at the foot of the Quadricur, the second last climb of the day. So we are keeping that descend in, that sketchy descend, and we are doing the climb from the four to start. And I was like, well, the buses need to get, well, first of all, the riders need to ride the, the fictitious start, the unofficial start, the neutralized zone, just because the city paid for it. And then they get back into the buses. Then they have to ride with the buses towards the foot of Quadricure, which is taking just as much time as they would have done it by bike, which means that they don't necessarily have time to warm up properly before they start the stage, which they have to delay the start half yeah. an hour from like 2.30 to 3 or something. They had to delay the time that the stage starts at. To when and it would start without raining the warm up, on, the, on the descent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> without the warm up, you've got a 50 minute climb directly from the start and i was like this changes the breakaway formation of of the race in some shape or form because otherwise you'd have the break forming on a flat portion at the start of the race and now you're starting it on a climb so maybe that gives some more interest but i don't know we'll talk after the no, stage whether we think this influence or not there was so much cope oh yeah. it still has got the main components no 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 short stages have small gaps big stages have big bigger gaps that's how cycling works. More kilojoules before the final climb, bigger gaps, less domestiques, more people are going to attack. If there's six Ineos riders and five Yumbo riders and everyone's fresh for the final climb after a valley, it's going to be smaller gaps. That's literally how this works. But the one, comp- one, the one opposing thought I have to that is that I did not see anyone attacking on Quadricor on the original parkour Because anyway, they're scared so... of dying on the descent. Yeah, <laughs> that as well that as well but i mean w- regardless of what the parkour was the action would have happened on crowns montana but the gaps would have been bigger if it had the full stage is that what we agree upon yes the gaps would have been bigger like they couldn't have been smaller so anyway <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, this has been a long go get a coffee benji segment my last thought on this is could we please end the discourse on saying we invoked the extreme weather protocol because riders are sick and that's why we shortened the stage because you can't make sick riders do six hours. And my answer would be if you are sick and I let's leave the asymptomatic COVID infections to the side discussion. If you're yeah, yeah. actually sick, I don't think you should do a three hour mountain stage. I think the solution with the doctors and the team is for you to abandon the race. Should the course be changed? So Caden Groves, who was fucked for about a week, just keep continuing the race? Or should Caden Groves abandon the race? To me, the answer is pretty straightforward that the sick rider should abandon the race. Now, are they then the set, oh, well, there'll be more sickness if you don't change the route. It's like, well, half the riders have brought the sickness in from Romandy. And anyway, that's 
a ludicrous argument that you need to shorten stages so sick riders can limp through. It's like people who are sick should go home um, yeah. for their own health. Exactly. Anyway. Fully agree with on- that. Now, um, <laughs> did we have any DNFs before the stage? I feel like this was the one Pedersen. day where we didn't. Or Oh, yeah, Pedersen. Pedersen. I forgot about Pedersen. He was sick and he went home. So Chiclamino. that was before the stage as well. The second bad news. Indeed, Chiclamino, Milan is still in the lead, but now the gap is much larger than it was initially. And um, yeah. Anything else to say before we dive into the, the first break, OS? Nope. Okay. First break, we see EF being very active and trying to form a breakaway. Starting off with the likes of Healy and so forth. We see the likes of Cepeda doing early moves and we get this initial group with Vine. Let's talk about Vine for a second. Before the stage, he does like an interview where he's talking about, oh, I don't really care about getting a top 10 in a Grand Tour, which is kind of understandable because it has no monetary value, according to him. And next to that, he says that uh, I care more about getting Joao Ahmed on the podium here than I do about stage wins and he also mentions that he would prefer losing 45 minutes um and being able to go for a stage though despite the just to avoid having to go for the top 10 and so forth so all understandable arguments and so forth and then we get to the stage starting and we see the break with Vine and Healy Cepeda Garfi Garfi bridges up last minute to this group so we've got three EF riders Ricitello or Richitello however you pronounce it and Derek G once again Jesus fucking Christ, He's this so man good. is amazing. Pino and Armirai, a double for Grupama. We've got Valentin, Parepanter, Barta, Prodom, a champion, and Dombrovsky. But Butrago gets to trying to bridge, and we see behind that Ineos is trying to control. And I think that's the thing to do right now. They're controlling, they're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of trying to keep it relatively together on this climb because they know that if they can get over the climb with, let's say, one domestique or two domestiques, over the top, they might get one or two back in the in the rather neutralized descent if, and they if nobody attacks in the descent. I agree. That's a very good point. They did not want Garfi in the move. So they also closed down that that attack. No, I and think they we see to. the second. Why? I mean, you could play the big brain and say, no, nah, Jumbo Visma, you're technically ahead, even though Roglic <laughs> is behind, you know, in theory, because of bonus seconds or whatever. Yeah. You closed down Carthy. He's your problem. But they had Aaronsman there. They shut him down. Healy was doing a good tug buddy job for that group. But uh, the other breakaway guys also didn't want Carthy in there. And they didn't want Carthy and Santi in there either. So I love it from EF and Carthy. They wanted to race today. Um, we'll see that later too. But I think Ineos did the right thing. And then they could just ride tempo afterwards. And anyway. What did the break? The break eventually that went was similar. It didn't have, um, let me have a look at the actual breakaway. It had Pino, Derek G, Richatello. I initially thought G was doing tug buddy mode for Richatello. There was Cepeda, Ina Rubio, Valentin Parry Pantra. They were the main protagonists. They dropped everyone else. G dropped Bruno Armorel on the Kratakur. And then. Richatello's dropped. When Pino moves on the Kratakur, G drops Richatello, and I'm like, this man is... Wout Van Aert is budget Derek G. Derek G is now better <laughs> than Wout Van Aert. Um, he's, oh, I don't know, he's just an, an animal. And they get a nice gap. And this is perfect for Ineos. Strong enough break, right size, yep. six riders or so, no GC threats except Pino in five minutes. They can control that in the valley. And it's a pretty big group behind Benji. We don't really see anything happening there except Vine dropping and Haig dropping. Exactly. We saw at some point that Bahrain went to the front with the likes of, uh, I think, Butrago again to position Caruso just before the descent. But I was like, I was extremely hyped. I was like, Caruso, threat of that descending coming, but that, that did not occur. He then moved back again and we saw... Ineos take up the descent from the front, basically, and at a rather slow tempo, which is probably the right thing to do, knowing that yeah. the first two kilometers of this descent looked crazy. At the front, by the way, Pino takes the KOM points once again. I wonder if he's realized that he wants to go for KOM yet, or no, whether he's he... KOM. Is he still yeah. saying that he's not going he's for KOM? Yeah. <laughs> like he did every time so far. <laughs> oh, if the points are there, why not? You know, yeah, yeah. I don't blame him, but... 
Pino on the descent, Benji. He took 90 seconds out of Ineos. Pino was hooking on the descent. He had a rain jacket with the sleeves cut oh, off. Oh, come he on. He was cooking the descent. But it banter erasure, my oh, friend. Oh, true. In the steep section, the steep part of the descent, the technical part of the descent, but Pancho was the man for me because he was dropped at the end of the climb, if I recall correctly. He was, came He came back. back at the start of the descent and then flew past for a bit and then got in the group again and then Pino started cooking. And um, yeah, I love your praise for Thibaut Pino. Let's see if we can praise him on the final climb as well. We cannot. <laughs> but I think Ineos did the right thing. I, I really liked what they did actually on this stage. I thought, you know, yeah. Aaronsman's a really good descender. He's in front, G's third wheel, taking it easy. Like, the only... Also, Rog's not going to go on this descent. There's a long valley afterwards. The change of the stage meant that Bahrain had no GC rider, had a satellite rider. So you could make everyone in the peloton hate you forever and attack on that descent. And then Ben Swift and Sivakov will mow you down in the valley and you look like an idiot. For right, and you'll have to ride 20Ks of flat before Cran Montana on your own. So Caruso decided not to do what he did the other day and kept the bullets in the chamber. So that's where I think the stage design did change things. I think if yeah. it's a thinner group, there's less Ineos domestiques, there's maybe a rider True. ahead, then I think Caruso is much more inclined to go threat of death on the descent. But with the race situation as it was, you're going to piss everybody off and get nothing out of it. So Ineos did the right thing. <coughs> Excuse me, Benji. I am over my sickness, by the way. I'm on the up and up. <laughs> uh, thanks for everyone that's been asking. Nobody. <laughs> nobody asked. Everyone's just like, fucking podcast, you circus animal. You got to give a call to the PPA, the podcast workers union. <laughs> Luke's, Luke, man. Can the union just say about Luke? You're cracking the whip. Um, anyway, getting to the valley. This is where the stage actually, the fun bits start in the breakaway. GC group, terrible. The breakaway, Benji, Cepeda doesn't take a pull in the valley with Pino G, Rubio, Paripantra. Not a pull. Not only that, I swear he was getting in the, the pace line and then not pulling. And he wasn't just sitting at the back. Yeah. I thought your sentence didn't end there, and then it did. So I was like, okay. <laughs> but you're right. There was like this, this annoying dynamic in Pinot's eyes, at least. Because this Pinot attacked 17 times on this climb, I would guess. If I had to face the number on it, probably 17 times. And Cepeda was the man that just jumped to his wheel, sat on his wheel. And every single time, Pinot would turn his head around and start complaining. I'm not sure if it's in French or whether he started speaking a language that Cepeda might understand, maybe in English, maybe in Spanish, you never know. And Rubio was kind of that, is Rubio the Almeida of this breakaway? What do you mean? Like he sort of As was in, pulling, but barely pulling? Nah. When he drops, he just motors back and then sits on the wheel again. He drops, he motors back and gets to the wheel again. Every single time. Yeah. I thought... This is where G was really strong, Crudiker, but it's a 13k, 7.5% finish. I thought this is where, if you want to flick the two South Americans who can't do 400 watts on the flat before the big climb, this is where G and Pino needed to do it uh, and Perry Pantra. So I feel like they could have really, man, if G went on the flat, so Peter ain't bringing him back. There ain't no chance. Or Rubio. And maybe him and P him and G could have had yeah. an arrangement, or maybe G thought it's actually better that they neutralize each other, which we'll see a bit of in the future. So I don't know, but maybe they could have handled that a little bit differently. Uh, but they didn't. They kind of let th this is where really Cepeda got in everybody's head, and uh, on the, in the valley and back yeah. we see the gap has gone from four minutes. Iniesta brought it down quite a bit. It's gone to 240 by the base of the climb. They let Swift come back on the descent. Even Blink comes back on the descent. Yumbo got five or six with Globe, Dennis Bowman, Koos, Roglic. Ineos got Sivakov, Aronsman, Swift, G, uh, Deplus. Bora got numbers. Pretty the, the Peloton's fattened since the descent. Yeah, they bring it down to 240 and thinking, hmm, are they trying to gift 
Bonies to Roglic? Are they going to try something? <laughs> uh, the answer is no. Ineos, we're trying to manage the gap on the flat with Swift, where it's safe, where the yep. G's doing way less watts in the wheel, and then you let it out on the climb or chill on the climb more rather than having to chase hard on the climb. Uh, you use Swift effectively. So I thought that was really smart, the way Ineos rode today's stage, actually. Um, like, really textbook, the way they managed the gap. The climb, Benji. Do you think G could have attacked or should have attacked on the base uh, in the valley? I'm maybe being a little bit critical. I think it was his only chance. I think it's his only chance as well. I think he was climbing well on the first climb, and he was climbing pretty well at the first portion of the, of the last climb, Cran Montana as well, but I do feel like he would have been better off doing a, a Dens-like move, something we saw yesterday where Dens anticipates a climb and then goes. And in hindsight, the collaboration between the other three was so bloody terrible that it might have actually worked. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> maybe a Cepeda would have looked at Rubio and a Rubio would have looked at Pinot. So all that kind of stuff could have happened and so forth. And maybe on the climb later, we have another moment like that where he had an opportunity to anticipate, used it, but it didn't really work out. But we get to the climb with the breakaway. Let's get the breakover first of all, that we can talk endlessly about all the GC action in this stage. But... <laughs> Let's talk break first. Pinot attacks with 12 kilometers to go. Cepeda closes at Rubio Bridges, and that's where G drops. And Pinot attacks again. Cepeda and Rubio close. And then suddenly G's back with like 9.5k to go. So two and a half kilometers of riding solo, trying to bridge back, trying to motor back. But then he's got this little moment where because Cepeda has been fighting with Pinot at the front all the time, because Cepeda doesn't take over, once Pino attacks, eh? Cepeda just gets to the wheel and sits there. Rubio, the same thing, which on one end, I kind of understand it because if Pino keeps on attacking them, why would they keep on working exactly. it with him just for Pino to attack from his wheel again? So it's kind of understandable what Cepeda and Rubio are doing here. But G comes back and because they're fighting the other three, he has his opportunity to go for a little move and he goes in front for a little bit and nobody closed it instantly. And I was like, maybe this is that kind of I move. Was <laughs> where you're like, oh, G's gonna win this stage. Go on, Derek! This ain't shit! Jesus Christ. It's like Vancouver Island! I can't do the Canadian accent, sorry. That was a great clip the other day. Maybe the guy hyped him up too much because he told him he could win the sprint and he couldn't. The other day, um, I was hyped, I was screaming, I, was, I wanted G to win so badly. Um, but not to be. I think, you're, I think you're right in what you say. It's like, okay... Did Cepeda and Rubio ride a little bit passively, a little bit despicably in the valley and the, the climb? Sure. But if Cepeda starts pulling on that climb, Benji, with Pino, if he does 30 seconds on and off with Pino, I guarantee by the f less than four rotations, Pino attacks him again. I bet yeah, you anything. Exactly. So why would you flick yourself? Exactly. Why would they work with Pino? Makes zero sense to do so. And Pino gets angry about it. The entire country of France is about to invade Ecuador and Colombia tonight. But I will say that I uh, agree with Cepeda and Rubio in the way their, their behavior was for on sure. the climb. And that happens for the entire climb. Eh? Like 6.5k to go. Pino attacks once again. And my camera just died. But I'll let you take over for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Pino attacks short circuits Benji I mean we lost count this was actually if you do want to watch the last 10k's of a stage I would watch the last 10k's it was really good because the consternation I've not actually seen a mountain break battle this good for quite a while in terms of the angst the anger the pure shithousery from Cepeda just dangling Pino just sitting behind him geez just I'm hoping G can come back he's dropped on the with about 5Ks to go, 6Ks to go. He's got 30 seconds a bit far to come back unless they fully suplex. So the last 2Ks are a bit flatter. Rubio's done none of the closing, though. So yep. actually, Cepeda, like, whilst he was doing a lot of shithousery in the valley, on the climb, it was Rubio never pulling. And this lost him a Giro stage a few years ago when De Gent backed him off and Ghana won the stage and said... That'll learn you. Instead, what De Gent didn't realize is Rubio was actually doing the game theory optimal strategy and did it again today because he can't sprint too well. Yeah. He can't 
he was probably on the limit for a lot of the climb. He wanted to ride flat power and then cook him at the end. So Rubio was doing, everyone was doing, uh, what should Pino have done though? It's difficult to say, eh? because on, on paper, if they go to the line with them not really attacking each other, then I'd say that Pino has the energy to destroy them in a sprint. I think after the second attack, he's got to ride threshold or just under threshold. The, the, the yeah. pace where, listen, these guys are not going to step off you with a thousand watts. So yeah. Pino's a little bit bigger. He's definitely got more snap than these guys. I would say right under threshold, if they attack you, you do have to respond, but you are stronger than them and leave something for the sprint. But if you attack them six, seven times, eventually he did start pulling, but then your legs are sapped and it's too, it's too late and Rubio's just been choo-chooing and leaving all his bullets in the chamber and that's what happens. Pino seems to have some sort of agreement with Cepeda. Cepeda attacked him on the last steep bit, then 2Ks to go, it levels out. Rubio's in the wheel, Pino leading out, it levels off, and then it goes up again a little bit in the last 500. Cepeda launches, I thought it was 100 to go, because he launched with like 500 to go. Cepeda, Pino has to close it, and then Rubio steps off Pino and cracks him on the last little rise, <laughs> dropping Pino. Great tactics from Rubio. He wasn't yeah. the strongest, Pino was, but heartbreak for Pino, Rubio wins the stage after, yeah, like a really entertaining breakaway battle, I must say. Pino six seconds behind, Cepeda third on 12 seconds. G just couldn't hang with the really, really light guys. He came fourth, still a lot of points though on 101, and Valentin Paripantra fifth from the breakaway on 129, so... This was the highlight of the stage, Benji. Well, <laughs> it wasn't that difficult to be the highlight of the stage either, let's be honest about it. We yeah. were expecting a, a proper GC battle, and if we then take a look at how the GC starts this climb, we see Ineos pacing with... I think they have... Uh, they have... Supercop that came back, Swift that come back, so Swift is starting at the bottom, then he gets, well, done, because he keeps on riding until he's done, and then Sivakov takes over, and then the plus starts taking over, and we see Yambo on the right side of that. We see Bahrain on one side of that, not really doing anything at the moment. Then it kind of stays like that until we see a move by Fortunato. And on one end, I would say that, oh, this is like a terrible tactical move and so forth. But you don't know that because who knows? Ineos might just ride it at this point. But also, I think it's uh, Aolo trying to show themselves because there's actually a pretty heartbreaking story over at Aolo because one of their riders, a Spanish rider, Arturo Gravalos, who... Uh, unfortunately was diagnosed with a with a head tumor brain tumor one and a half years ago uh passed away this morning so i think Jeez. they just wanted to show themselves in in light of arturo gravalos and in that sense i don't think i can criticize anything they're doing today i um it was nice seeing aolo up there and fortunato attacking and that kind of made a, a bridge possible for a man that went a bit later hugh carty huge he's got some stones about him love it Huge, one of my favorite riders. Um, attacks. He wanted to gain some time today. The problem was the pace had, as I said, you know, it's a big group. Dennis is looking in better shape. He was there deep into the climb for Yumbo Visma, although a good climb for him. But it's still a big group. They're like Ineos, as I said, <laughs> were just holding it at 250 to Pino, even with all the stops starting ahead. And Ben Swift. He's not dropping GC guys or putting them under pressure. And Sivakov pull was okay, but yeah, Yumbo didn't take it up at all. Um, I was, you know, you'd think if they pace from the bottom with their strength in numbers, stage win on offer, bonus seconds, yeah. Roglic roglification didn't happen. And are they scared? Well, or, or are they trying to not take the pink jersey yet? It really depends on how much time you think you can take, right? So yeah. if you think that if you light it up, you can really put 30 seconds into G and Almeida plus the stage, then you do it. If yeah. you pace and then you take a delta of four seconds, essentially, from the 10 bonus seconds to six, is that worth it? I don't know. 
Because nah. Ineos are doing a lot of carrying the race. Or they Oren... just didn't have it. True, that's a possibility, but I doubt that. I, I kind of doubt he that. Like, Come on. Yeah, but he's crashed 17 times so far this, this Giro. <laughs> so at some point, maybe one of the crashes will hit him. We don't know if it has hit him yet or not. I just hope that he's still in good form. Like, I hope every GC rider here is in good form. And we just don't see anything until we get to this corner, which it kind of corners to the right in the same place that Rubio tried to attack the breakaway earlier on. And we see there that Bahrain comes to the front. And we see Butrago being the man that's leading Caruso. And then Caruso tries to attack and once again, not directly responds. And I feel like it's really annoying that we had to switch to the... Well, it's really, we didn't miss that much, but that we yeah. switched to the sprint and the breakaway at that moment because then suddenly was Dunbar was riding in front. No, I, yeah. I, I did not see Dunbar attack. Dunbar, really big surge. He just went too early. He's got a really good last 500, I think, but he, um, he just went too early. Carthy had gained up to 23, 25 seconds, but yeah, this big acceleration at the end. Aronsman brings back Caruso. Then Thomas starts pulling back Dunbar and Carthy and Thomas does his last sort of 500 meter really hard surge and rides the GC group in with Carthy only taking six seconds on them in the end. Almeida sprints for no reason at the end to take seventh and Dunbar gets caught on the line. Eighth, Thomas on the same time with Robich, Kamner, Kuz, Caruso. Legnason only loses seven seconds. Aronsman, pretty good today. Uh, he was the next of the Ineos riders. He was their last man. Uh, De Plus was before him. The riders on GC got lost time. Petrago and Haig mainly, but they were already struggling. Yeah, so we end up with a GC battle that is not existing. I don't know what was more under what was more underwhelming, Campo Imperatore or this? Because for Campo Imperatore, we weren't expecting major difference in the first place. For this stage, I was expecting differences. So. This is probably one of the most underwhelming stages compared to what we expected from the start of the road reaction to this day, because this was fucking horrible to watch. I mean, yeah, from the root reaction for what I expected of this stage, yeah, this is obviously, yeah, not great. Um, but <laughs> Fucking terrible. <laughs> but when I saw the revised route this morning, I was like, yeah, group. Like, like when you actually look at historically the time gaps, what was the Val stage in the Tour de France, Benji? Stage 20, the Nibali short one. one, my friend, no? Yeah, big watts, right? Um, big of course, uh, it's Nibali. Movistar sold Bala so hard on that stage. It was <laughs> so good. Um, yes. There's not big gaps on these stages. You know why? Because all these guys are so good. And their level is so close. And the drafting is so important. And so it's the capacity to perform after fatigue that will separate and have real gaps. So then... I guess the big question mark, yeah, is Yumbo. You thought, okay, if there was going to be GC action, then surely Yumbo, because Koos looked good. He finished in the GC group. Glogue looked good. Yep. Dennis looked good. Bowman was in the group. They were the ones to pace. And, of course, I don't blame Ineos. I thought Ineos rode perfectly. Perfect. I mean, so why would Ineos give bonus seconds to Roglic? And then, yeah, so it's kind of a stalemate. Could UAE have tried something? Well, McNulty was there, but Vine was dropped, so Almeida's just following. Who's And then if Roglic and Yumbo aren't going to pace, if you pace and chase the break back and then Roglic tortures you, you look so stupid. So yeah. that's what happened. Exactly. Now, compared to what we expected for the stage, we, once again, I did not expect moves on Quadricur, but I at least expected action on Kranz Montana from a bit further out than 400 meters to go. <laughs> No, oh, I didn't. This was, uh, this was really disappointing. Well, to compare to the original stage I'm talking, compared to what we predicted yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that just didn't end up happening. And when it comes to the GC changes, you, you mentioned that nothing really occurred. So Gary and Thomas is still in the lead, two seconds ahead of Primoz Rogic Almeida on 22 seconds, still ready to destroy everybody in the last week of this Giro d'Italia. Absolutely ready. Like, isn't Almeida the winner by the fact that he's still up there? Isn't I thought this is the stage where Almeida struggles, um, this shortened <laughs> stage, if they really push the last, but I don't know. I mean, I 
yeah, I find it very, very difficult to predict his performance. Actually, uh, Pino <laughs> does move into the top 10. He's on yep. 313. Carthy moves into 11th on 316. So maybe that's why Carthy was chasing. Uh, that, of, of course, can change. And with the work that will be expected of Deplus and Aronsman, perhaps they will, unfortunately for their own ambitions, will drop out of the top 10 in support of G. Makes sense to be, though. Um, they're on 245 and 308. So don't be surprised if Pino and Carthy uh, leapfrog them. The weather conditions at the end of the stage ended up being 11 degrees on top of Karatakur. So, yeah, and the descent averaged well, they double did it, digits. So. Pardon? Well, they did Karatakur, so... Yeah, true. <laughs> so, Very, very strange. Um, what needs to... Does anything need to change, Benji? Because, like, uh, are we going to keep doing this? Me and you in October, seeing these routes... Oh my god, this is going to be amazing. And then this happens. I would like to see the unrealistic experiment. I don't see it ever happening, but the experiment of just like in the past, the Vuelta moving to the early season, which is I think it was in April in the past before 1995, just replace the Giro with the Vuelta and replace the Vuelta with the Giro. I want to see that for one year. Venue will never agree to it. I'm not sure what ASO will think of it when it comes to the Vuelta, but it would, I think, solve a lot of things. Now, this is an exceptional year because at this moment in Spain, it's also really hot. Exactly, man. It wouldn't even solve that much. That's the it thing. would solve the Giro, I think. The Giro, generally speaking, like it is unusual what's happening right now. Right now in my house, so, for example, our producer, Luke, went to ride Arculus the other day. No, yesterday or two days ago. He couldn't. There's snow, like, all over Arculus at 2,200 meters. Not that high. Same height as the Crudicur. And it's freezing. Cold Ordino descent in Andorra. Like, I don't know if that would have been safe two, three days ago with ice and stuff in the shadow on the um, western side. So, okay. Yeah, but then find it's another easier. 2000, a high, a high, high mountain, Sierra Nevada. It looks crazy right now with snow. Yeah, but the Giro was, is built on these heroic. 2,000 plus meter mountain stages, while I feel like the Vuelta has always been that Grand Tour, which has the more medium mountain slash hilly stages yeah. that decide a lot of things. So I feel like the Vuelta doesn't stand or die based on where they can actually succeed on getting a 2,500 meter uh, high, high altitude yeah. stage, while the Giro has that more in my opinion. I agree. I agree. And I think what you would say is it's more unusual how cold it is right now in Granada and Sierra Nevada and Andorra than it is. It is usual. It is to be expected that at 2,600 meters in May on the, in the Alps, in the border, like the snow coverage is completely different. Like there's no snow here anymore at 2,000 meters pretty much. Um, do you look at the snow walls at 15, 1,800, 1,900 meters in Valais? It's completely different. So it must have been generally colder there. So yeah, I agree. Like the Vuelta more naturally fits in May. The Vuelta in August is unreasonably hot. I regularly say that it's unsafe, like how hot it is, especially in some of yeah. the central stages or southern stages. The Giro in August would have no, yeah, wouldn't have these problems, generally speaking. Of course, in Alps, shit yeah. can happen. These sort of things wouldn't happen. Now, they the riders, if they'd been riding in 25 degrees sunny all the way up to today, the stage happens in full. I guarantee it. Is there also a solution where you put the Grand Tours closer together? If you put the Giro two weeks later, for example, nobody's doing the Giro Tour that often exactly. anyway. So. Who serious is doing the Giro Tour double at the moment anyway? So that possibility is there. The Vuelta getting that close to the Tour is difficult because you've got... True. Well, is it, it also much the harder knowing... Bit. And it might influence the Tour de France form as well if they do it too early. No? Yeah. If you do the Vuelta then, they will get a weaker start list. Yeah. True. So they might be reluctant to Agreed. do it. Yeah. Unless they do it much earlier. But I don't yeah. know. Something either we accept when the route comes out it is going to be cold at 2,500 meters and possibly raining. And we decide 
is that extreme weather or is it not extreme weather? I don't care which. I'm happy for the riders to say. If they say, no, it's actually fucked up and I can't feel my hands, I'm at risk of crashing on the descent, I'm happy for sure. It's extreme weather. Put some numbers on it, make it objective, and then RCS can make a route around that. But at the moment, every year, pretty much, or three of the four years, did a, did a route change last year in the Giro? Can't remember. Um, but three of the last four years and two of the last three years, the Queen yep. stages, essentially, if you call this the Queen stage, it did have the, yep. have the Chima copy. It was. Two of the three of the last years, the, the Queen stages have been a farce. And, yep. like, of course, we're going to keep watching, but does it hurt the brand? It must hurt the brand a little bit. Um, so something needs to change. Maybe with the extreme weather protocol, I would definitely say there should be that, that process needs to be looked into. And uh, yep. also, if you're going to do dangerous new descents, maybe repave them before winter yeah, comes. But I feel like this we're talking about is during the Giro because it happens a lot at the Giro. But is there something in it where the organization of the Giro is not is making mistakes? As in, well, it's, for it's, firstly. Was that descent, as I said, was that descent repaved in summer? It didn't look very repaved to me. Like, I know winter and the snow cover creates problems, but to me it looked like that road was a bad road before winter, and winter made it yeah. worse. So, justifiably, if the riders are looking at images or photos of it, and they're like, and all teams have done a recon of, it, recon of it, and they're like, yeah, it's really, really dangerous, and it's a bad road surface then the organizer, yes, should have resurfaced it before yeah. or don't include it because I don't think you should be sending riders down those sort of descents or racing them down. Uh, and I think they pretty much self-neutralized. So chapeau to them today, actually, in the GC group. But other than that, Did we no, have... like if the Giro puts in and publicizes a plan B to Martini, yeah. isn't that just baiting the change? As in publicizing a backup plan, yes. Yeah. I would say so. I would say that, that you're baiting a change in some shape or form, but it's, I, it's also Should like, they have had a backup plan, though? I really think they should have. They should always have a backup plan for these stages in the Giro because it keeps on happening. That's pretty obvious to me. Like, for every single climb, they need to have, like, a, a backup climb instead. For example, for Monte Lusari, the, the TT at the end, there has been no mention of an official backup plan. There's been some rumors of, of Montezoncolon and so forth. But for a stage like that, you need a, you need a backup plan. For a stage like Trichimi de Lavaredo, you need a backup plan because Paso Jao, once again, could be having yeah. difficulties, could have similar occasions as today. And we might have the same exact discussion next week. And I don't know, it sucks because compared to the route reaction, this has become kind of a Mickey Mouse Grand Tour to the point where the riders are dropping out left and right, important riders are dropping out left and right. We've got now three riders left maybe that I would consider as opportunists to win this to win this Grand Tour. And I'm not feeling the same hype I was a week ago. And I feel like when the parkours, if they rightfully reduce the parkour, all the better. I support the riders in doing so because it's their security at, at hand. But it does reduce the entertainment value of this Giro by so, so much to the point that this has been a pretty fucking terrible second week of the Giro. This is one of the worst weeks in a Grand Tour we have done on the podcast. I think so, because we, we haven't had a GC battle on a road stage except for the skirmish in uh, Fossombroni on stage eight when Roglic attacked and Remco was probably already sick. And we've had no mountain stage battle yet. And it's like, do I get a little bit bored with the Vuelta's hockey stick stages? or Les Prairies, or the Planche de Belfi in the Tour de France. Yeah, like, Super Planche de Belfi wasn't the most exciting stage I ever watched last year, <laughs> but goddamn, would I yeah. trade some of the, the stages, stage 11 or 12, whatever happened then, for a Planche de Belfi little yeah, GC skirmish? Hell yeah. Also, those riders make the race, as in... Pogacar made the race that day yeah. and we needed action from Yumbo that day as well to make the race. I feel like GC is not in the right place to have this action because now, like we said, Roglic is in a position where he was able to keep Thomas in the leader jersey going into, for example, I think you mentioned it on this podcast before, at the 
the root uh, preview that we did at the start of preview at the start of the Giro, that stage 15 is kind of a medium mountain stage, a bit harder to control. Maybe Yumbo didn't want the jersey going to stage 15, for example. That's a possibility. Ineos is now going to have to control that stage against moves of multiple teams. Hopefully, it's not just a breakaway stage, which at this point wouldn't shock me if that's a breakaway stage and GC does fuck all. So that's a possibility. But did Arcia shoot themselves in the foot here? If they had agreed RCS? to shorten the nothing stage the other day, which no one was watching anyway, mm -hmm. like then the riders might have done the full stage today. It's just I, I would don't also know. say. I would say that when it comes to shooting themselves in the foot, I think it was more a mistake in hindsight to have Kranz Montana as the second mountain stage in this Grand Tour. Because... Yeah, but isn't Remco two minutes ahead right now, in theory? And Gagan Hart's in theory, here, yes. and he yeah. wants to attack and take time back on Remco, and maybe Roglic follows him and works with him, and Remco chases with G in the wheel, yeah. you know? It's also what's happened with the it's GC situation. Yeah. I and, agree. I agree. Uh, Talking RCS... about Remco. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I want to go on a bit of a rant. It's, okay, it's the battery, well, go point, get a coffee. Point. No, last okay. point, and then you can, I will get a coffee. RCS cannot control it being so rainy. It, is, it has been unusually rainy. They have been unlucky in that sense. That's outside of their control. The riders have been frozen. They've been wet for two weeks. I understand that they're sick and tired of it and pissed off, and everyone's getting sick. And, yeah, it's just... I understand all sides. Go on about yeah, Remco. I think so as well. I want to go on a rant about Remco um, because he was part of this Giro and I know we're pretty far into this podcast, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant anyway. We heard some news today that Lefebvre was talking in the press once again. We spoke already about the fact that the surroundings of Remco are talking too much in the media right now. Remco already won La Vuelta, so nobody would accept, a, would accept a different result, is what Lefebvre said as to why Remco wouldn't write La Vuelta, next to the fact that he points out that it might not have a, an ideal preparation with his focus on worlds as well, which is a more understandable explanation. But Lefebvre is making it sound like Remco should only write races that he hasn't won yet, which is, which is fucking stupid, because he just won LBL after winning it the year before. It's like Quickstep is scared for batch press if they, if they lose races, and I... I think the team surrounding Remco, whereas the team itself or the people surrounding him, they're actively increasing the criticism thrown at Remco at the, at the moment on media, traditional media, social media, and so forth. And wouldn't it have all been solved in the way that you spoke out earlier in this podcast? Like, if they just had a statement along the lines of, it's only been a week since Remco left the Giro, we're first taking precautions to ensure his long-term health. After that, we'll sit together with Remco and the team to look at the planning. And it was that. Wouldn't that have been like a solution to all this crap? Yeah, that's a pretty easy response. <laughs> yeah. And you can't win every race either. Was yeah. Pagatch's Tour de France last year? Should he have not done the tour last year or not do it again because he lost it, even though he won three stages? Like, even though he's always won it before, like, doesn't make sense. So you can, no one can win every race. It's impossible. Anyway, yeah, they got to probably improve the comms. Uh, tomorrow stage, 195Ks. I'll be quick. They do the simpler pass up to 2,000 meters, 20Ks, 6.5%. Michael Matthews is winning this stage, Benji. That's all I have to say. Because Mads Pedersen's out. Benji's Matthews? Matthews. Matthews stage? The Matthews stage. My microphone disappeared. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you heard the but truth. I heard the truth? Yeah, I, I think I heard the truth as well. Nah. Um, it's uphill, kind of, the end. That's I a agree. hard climb, man. It's, it's, it is a hard climb. The climb at the start is 20k too. And G was, in group, G was in the GC group today after the climb. He came back on the descent. He wasn't far behind. He's climbing well. Yeah, but it's also a bit of an uphill sprint now. As yeah. in, if you take a look at the last kilometer, it's an uphill last kilometer. I don't know the exact gradients yeah, of the last kilometer. What I mean is how much they can spit Cav, Gaviria, all those guys, even Court. Like can Zana they spit can shred Milando, it. knowing it's an 80 kilometers after the descent? Yes. If Zana paces, Milan will be in the shadow realm on this climb. But who continues pacing with them after the climb? Yeah, that's a good question. Anyway, as you <laughs> said, uphill finish. I don't, bling will win. Okay, bling will win. We're done. That's all from us. And also the, the flat start. I think Davide Bias breakaway with Pino fighting for KOM points. Um, that's all from us today. Let us know your thoughts on it. Don't know how we got an hour out of this podcast, maybe because we were whinging the whole time. 
But uh, <laughs> I see both sides. But yeah, we, we had some thoughts pent up throughout the day. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you the recap of Michael Matthews' win tomorrow. Till then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 